There once was a group of people who called themselves fishermen. And these fishermen got together regularly and had fishermen meetings. They lived in an area surrounded by lakes and rivers and streams. And those waters were filled with fish. And the fish were hungry. And so the fishermen would talk about how to catch fish. They talked about their call to fish, the abundance of fish, how they might go about fishing more effectively. They carefully defined what fishing means. They declared that every fisherman should fish. Continually, they searched for new and better methods of fishing. They sponsored nationwide, worldwide meetings about fishing. They talked about the effectiveness of fishing in this way or that way and what might be the best way, the new fishing equipment, whether there was any new bait available. This one appears to have a marshmallow. Not sure what fish like that. The plea was that everyone should be a fisherman and every fisherman should Fish, But one thing the fishermen did not do, ironically, was go fishing. The fishermen just didn't fish, but they talked much about fish. They even sent some of their fishermen to faraway streams and faraway lands where the fish were of different colors and ate different foods. They offered courses on fishing, and through the years they offered these courses on how to fish and where to find fish, the best methods for fishing, and the psychological reactions of fish, and the best bait to use for this fish or that fish, and those who taught the courses got degrees, master's degrees, doctorate degrees in fishology, and they talked much about fishing. Some spent much study and travel, and they went to faraway distant lands where the founding fathers had done much fishing. They learned about where they had fished originally, and they lauded and applauded those who had fished in generations before them, who passed on the legacy of fishing. Some also said they wanted to be part of the fishing party, but they felt called to fund the fishing expeditions and furnish fishing equipment. Others felt their job was simply to relate to the fish in a good way. So the fish knew the difference between a good fisherman and a bad fisherman. Some said, no, my job is just to show the fish that I'm a nice land-loving neighbor and I'll just be good to the fish and that's how I will catch the fish. Well, after one stirring meeting on the necessity of fishing, a young man went out and actually caught two fish. The next day, he shared the news with some others and they they were astounded. And so they brought him into the meeting to talk about how he caught the fish and everybody was amazed. And so then he left his fishing and launched out on a national tour to speak to others about fishing and how to catch fish. And he told of his experiences. Now, it's true that many of the fishermen sacrificed and put up with many difficulties. Some lived near the water and they lived near the fish. They had to put up with all the fishiness there. Others received ridicule from some who gave them a hard time about their fishermen clubs. Some, well, they just wondered about those who felt it was of little use to attend the regular fishermen meetings. Others who had been around for quite some time, some of the most seasoned fishermen, just got upset and grew cynical about how fishy the fish were, how they smelled like fish, and those fish just acted fishy. So they didn't want to cast the lines for those fish. And then there were many who got upset when one day someone new to the fishermen meeting showed up and asked the question, Is one really a fisherman if he never goes fishing? And Jesus said to them, Follow me, 
and I will make you fishers of men. Today we begin chapter 35 of Quest 52. It's our year-long pursuit of Jesus, our year-long endeavor to get to know Jesus better. And today we begin week one of our mini-series, Training Camp, where we're going to explore some of the things Jesus gave to his disciples, how he was training them to live on mission with him and for him, to live his mission, training them in the mission. Now, if you don't yet have a copy of Quest 52, the book we're using to help us jump into the Bible this year, you can pick up a discounted copy at the Next Steps area in the lobby after service, and I encourage you to do that. But this, the question for this week and this week's reading, the driving question is this, how can we share our faith Effectively. Now, I think Mark, the author of Quest 52, offers some fantastic suggestions to answer that question. But before we jump into that, before we get to how, I want us to take a look at why. Why we would share our faith. Why we would tell other people about Jesus. Now, if you are new to us today, for starters, I applaud you on your courage to jump into church on Labor Day weekend when most people are other places. So if you're new to us, that's awesome. If you're new in person or online, though, you need to know that this conversation is kind of a family conversation. But don't let that steer you away from us. Don't tune out because of that. In fact, let that cause you to lean in even more because this family conversation, I think, is a great one for you to hear I think it's good for you to hear why we would want you to follow Jesus, why we would want you to know Jesus. Well, after Jesus was killed on a cross and he came back from the grave, he said this to his followers. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Let's just pause right there. If you are killed on a cross, crucified, you're buried, and then you resurrect from the grave... And you come back and conquer death, you get to claim the authority of heaven and on earth. Nobody gets to challenge that authority. When you raise yourself from the dead, I'm not talking the doctors resuscitated you, somebody was doing CPR on you. I'm not talking like Princess Bride, well, he's just mostly dead. No, we're talking dead in the ground and you raise back to life. You get to claim a certain level of authority. And with that authority, Jesus goes on and says this, because I had that authority... I'm telling you, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I will be with you always, even to the very, very end I'm with you. Now in this passage, Jesus does not make a distinction between evangelism and discipleship. If you've been around church for a while, you probably know those words, recognize them, but those are pretty churchy words, so let me boil that down. Jesus makes no distinction between helping people find Jesus and helping people follow Jesus. He says it's all one and the same. It's all mixed in together. If you are helping someone follow Jesus, then you will be training them how to help other people find Jesus, because that's part of it, is to live on mission. But if you've helped someone find Jesus, then you will continue to teach them to obey all he's commanded. You'll teach them how to keep finding Jesus daily to find deeper life with him and follow him for the long haul. So if we wonder why we should help other people find Jesus, why we should go, well, we go because we follow. We follow Jesus. That's what this Christian life is all about. We are Jesus followers. We don't just 
look on from afar, but we actually have movement in our life in the direction of Jesus. And we go where Jesus goes. And Jesus always goes to the people who are far from him. And so we follow him there. We follow him to the least, the last, the lost, the left out ones. We go because that's where Jesus is. And we go because we follow him there. This is why our church directs so much of our funding to outreach and missions, helping people here in this community and all over the world find Jesus and follow him, to find brand new life in Jesus and live that life out. So we go because we follow, but we also share because we care. Now, I know that sounds cheesy. If you don't think that sounds cheesy, you need to to check your cheese monitor, right? Like that's a cheesy statement. We share because we care, but it's true. We really do. We share because we care, because we care about other people. In the Old Testament time, God would often speak to his people. And one of the main ways God spoke to his people was through his messengers. And many of those messengers were called prophets. A prophet was simply a messenger of God. Now, when you hear of prophets and you hear prophecy, don't think future telling as much as truth telling. That's what the prophets were. They were truth tellers for God and they would speak God's message. Well, one of those prophets was a guy named Ezekiel and one of the messages God gave him was this. He said, when the watchman sees the enemy coming, he sounds the alarm to warn the people. Now, in those days, oftentimes a city would be built on a hill or on high ground, and they would put a stone wall around that city for protection because those cities were in danger of being invaded by other armies, by other places, other nations, other cities. And so you would fortify your city, and you'd put this wall around your city. And then you would station somebody either in a tower or actually on that wall to be the watchman, to look out to see if danger was coming. And if danger came, you would warn the people of that city. Well, in our era, we don't have to worry about that too much. About the closest you get to one city invading another is when you have hometown rival sports teams and one is hosting the other and the other team comes to town, right? Like, that's about as close as we get to an invasion. But we do have danger that we need to be on the lookout for. Back in the 1950s in downtown Lincoln, Illinois, they put a phone booth on the top of a building across from the courthouse. This is the actual phone booth on top of the building. That's the courthouse, and those are Illinois fields in the distance. And here it is looking at it. That's the phone booth on top of the building. Let's pause. For those of you in younger generations, a phone booth... See, phones used to be attached with a cord to a wall. And if you were out in public and you needed to call somebody, you didn't have this handy little gizmo in your pocket that you could just speak to and it would make the call for you. No, you actually had to pay money and type in the number to make the call. And if you didn't have money, you could do this great thing called a collect call. Parents loved those. It was awesome. Never signaled that the kid was in trouble making a collect call. But here, this phone booth was placed on top of a building. And what they would do is the youngest, newest, unmarried firefighter would be sent up into that little glass box when this, the weather started getting cloudy and they thought storms were coming. 
And they started that in the 1950s. They did not stop doing that until the 1980s, which to some of you sounds ancient. To some of us, it's like, that wasn't that long ago. Back in the 1980s, there was still the expendable firefighter in a glass box, because that sounds safe, looking for tornadoes in the middle of tornado country. And so this is where they would put that guy. Well, now they don't worry about that. It's still there. So it's this fun little thing you look at. But now we have Doppler radar, we have loud sirens, we have overly zealous newscasters who love to talk to us about the weather and interrupt our TV shows and tell us what's up, right? Well, Ezekiel continues on. It says, then if those who hear the alarm refuse to take action, it's their own fault if they die. They heard the alarm, but they ignored it, so the responsibility is theirs. If they had listened to the warning, they could have saved their lives. But... If the watchman sees the enemy coming and doesn't sound the alarm to warn the people, he's responsible for their captivity. So it says if if you sound the alarm and they don't listen, that's on them. Kind of like the tornado sirens are blaring and instead of going to the basement, you go to the backyard like wonder what a tornado looks like. That's your fault if you get hurt, right? I'm one of those guys. My wife's always telling me, that's dumb. Anyway, But if you warn them, right, that's on them. But let's say they don't sound that alarm and that person is snoozing through and God says that's on them. They will die in their sins, but I will hold the watchman responsible for their death. He continues on. Now, son of man, I'm making you a watchman for the people of Israel. Therefore, listen to what I say and warn them for me. And this is what God says. If I announce that some wicked people are sure to die and you fail to tell them to change their ways, then they will die in their sins and I will hold you responsible for their death. But if I, but if you warn them to repent, repent is another one of those churchy words. Repent simply means turn. To turn away from your rebellion, to turn away from your sin and to turn to God. It says if you warn them to repent and they don't turn, They will die in their sins, but you will have saved yourself. And so God goes on, son of man, give the people of Israel this message. All you people keep saying, our sins are heavy upon us. We are wasting away in our sin. How can we survive? As surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord of heaven. And listen to this. I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Last week we talked about how God, how Jesus says the enemy, Satan, comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. He wants you to die. But Jesus came so that we would have life to its fullest, abundant and overflowing. God says, I don't want any wicked people to die and be separated from me. I want them to have life. So turn Turn from your wickedness. And notice who he speaks to first. O people of Israel. God is talking to God's own people. Today this would be God speaking to the church. Now that doesn't mean this message does not apply beyond. But it doesn't mean that it does not only apply beyond the church. What wickedness do we need to get rid of? What do we as God's people need to turn from to turn back to God? And we need to warn others. And that might be the greatest wickedness is our failure or our reluctance or even our refusal to warn other people about what God has said. You know, Jesus 
gave this famous statement. He said, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son into the world so that whoever believes in him, whoever puts their trust and their hope in him would not perish, but would have life full and forever. He continued on and said, for I came not to condemn the world, but to rescue the world. See, God does not desire that anyone should die and go to hell. God does not desire that anyone should perish in eternity apart from him. In fact, God desires that everyone would come to know him and be saved, that everyone would join him in paradise. That's why God extends the invitation to everyone that anyone who puts their hope and their trust in Jesus will have full forever life with Jesus. So friend, we share because we care. We share because we care about those people who are far from God, who are spiritually lost, who the Bible says are spiritually dead. We care because we're sad that they don't have the life, the vibrant life with Jesus that we have. And we long for them to have the hope, to have the salvation that we have in Jesus. And we care because we want God to have the glory, the honor that he deserves. God alone deserves the praise of all people. And if there are those in rebellion to him, he's not getting the praise he deserves. So friend, let me ask, does your heart break for those people who are far from God? If not, you need to invite God to do some heart surgery on you. When longtime preacher and author Bob Russell spoke here earlier this summer, he gave a statistic that may have been shocking for some of you. He said the people who are most the followers of Jesus, who are most excited and most eager to share their faith, who talk to other people about Jesus most often, are those who have followed Jesus for six years or less. He said out of that group, the people who share their faith most often, most excitedly, are those who have followed Jesus for one year or less. Now we might think it should be the people who have followed Jesus for the longest time, who know him best, who follow him most, whose lives have been transformed and they've had a long journey with him. They have so much knowledge, they have so much excitement that they want to talk to everyone they know about Jesus. But instead it's the people who have followed him for the shortest time. So why is that? Well I think something happens in us when we become familiar with the message and we become familiar with the Savior. There's this shift that occurs. It's subtle, but it's insidious when we stop asking what can we all do to mobilize on mission to reach those who are far from God. And instead, we begin asking, what can the church do for me? What's in it for me? What about me? And we become an internally focused, me-focused people. And it's the natural tendency of everyone who's journeying with Jesus for very long at all. As we lose our zeal, and part of the problem is we begin to isolate ourselves from the world and we only know other believers. We spend all of our time hanging out with other Christians and then we don't know non-Christians and so who would we share our faith with and we don't get very excited. We get upset that all those fish smell and act fishy and it's just annoying and so we stop getting around the fishiness. We don't want to get the fishy smell on us and we miss the mission we miss out on the great commission that Jesus has invited us to partner with him on mission to help rescue people who are far from him. See, the best thing that we as your church leaders can do is to help you get on mission, live on mission, and stay on mission for your entire life. 
And that means taking the message to those who are far from God. And if you want to know the thing that's going to grow your faith the most, it's not a class, it's not some study, it's sharing your faith with somebody who's far from Jesus. Because that will force you to wrestle with real issues. It'll force you to be humble. When they ask a question, and you say a question you don't know the answer to, and you got to say, I don't know. <laughs> but let's find out together. It'll force you to wrestle with real topics and to see how gray the line is between the black and white that we often want to believe it is. It forces us to grow in our faith. Now, I think most of us actually want to tell people about Jesus. I think a lot of us, though, we just lack confidence. We're not sure how. We're afraid we're going to say the wrong thing. We're afraid we're going to sound like a fool, get a question we can't answer. We might ruin a relationship with someone and things might get awkward with somebody we care about or somebody who's close to us. So let me just offer a few suggestions on how, on how we can share our faith. And I want to begin by saying this. Most of us are not going to be like Billy Graham. Billy Graham was a phenomenal preacher of a previous era in American history and world history. And Billy would travel all over the world and they would pack these stadiums with thousands of people. And Billy would preach the word of God. And at the end, he would invite people to surrender their lives to Jesus. And hundreds, sometimes thousands of people would come forward and surrender to Jesus. Most of us don't have the giftedness of Billy Graham. None of us here have the influence of a guy like Billy Graham. But I'll tell you what, we may not introduce a stadium to Jesus. We might not have a thousand people come to know him after we share. But I guarantee every single one of us knows at least one person who needs to know Jesus. And God has you as the messenger. So all of us know someone. We began this year with this challenge for each one of us to reach one for the glory of the one. Each one reaching one for the glory of the one. And for us to accomplish that, that means that we each, every one of us, must own our responsibility in that. So friend, let me ask, how's that going for you? Have you given up? Have you started? How are you doing with reaching your one? When you came in today, you received a card looks like this. Go ahead and pull that card out right now. And I want to invite you to grab a pen from the seat back in front of you. If there's not a pen close to you, just ask one of the gals with a purse. If it's like the women in my life, there's probably a whole slew of pens in there and you'll have one. And then write down the name of one. Now, you might know several people. There might be a dozen or more people who come to your mind that need to know Jesus. You might have some people you work with. I'm fortunate that where I work, I think everybody knows Jesus, and that's a good thing given where I work. You might work at a place where not many people, if any, know Jesus. And so maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's that neighbor. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a family member. Who is the one who rises to the top of who you desire to help them get to know Jesus and walk faithfully with him. Go ahead and write their name down. And then I want to encourage you to share with your one. Share with your one. And and don't make it overly complicated. In fact, we're going to talk a lot about just one on this, right? Like, it's just one day at a time. It's just one meal at a time. It's one prayer with them or for them at a time. It's one question to them at a time. It's one invitation to come to your house at a time. It's one invitation to church at a time. It's just one at a time. 
one day, one conversation, one prayer, one meal. And look for the opportunity to share your story with them. Any of you rooted peeps in here? Yeah. Well, you learn in rooted to share your story. It's one of the things I love about it. it. Rooted helps us develop the rhythms of life with God. And one of those rhythms is to get into the rhythm of sharing our story. And you practice it by sharing your story with somebody else in the group. And you share it with the group. And the danger, though, is that we finish rooted or we finish something like that. We put the book on the shelf and then we get out of rhythm. And for those of you who've done Rooted, I'm not going to do the Elaine Bennett's dance, but you know what a life out of rhythm looks like. Now, to get into rhythm, you got to continue the rhythms. And so you got to continue to share your story with people who know. But I know that sometimes I can be intimidating. Sometimes I'm like, well, I'm not really sure what to say. But we, we know how to talk to people who are... are in our world, right? We, we know how to talk to the people in our sphere of influence about things that we get excited about, about things that we are passionate about. You ask me about a burger joint with where to find the good burger, the good fries, and the good ice cream in most towns that I've spent much time in. I can tell you which place to go to get the good barbecue bacon ranch burger, right? And you know, which fries to get with it. I can tell you where to go to get the good milkshake or the good ice cream. You see how I live, right? <laughs> so I, I, I'm passionate about that stuff. You talk to a gearhead about the car. They'll tell you everything about what's under the hood. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense to me, but I'm glad that you know, right? But they'll tell you, I'm like, it sounds loud and it apparently drives fast and it looks cool. Like, that's what I know about cars. But some of you are like, man, you can talk about that stuff. You talk about your vacation spots where the sand is nice or the water is great or the cabin is cozy or the hiking was awesome or the camping was fantastic. I mean, you talk about these things. We talk to people about our favorite movies and our favorite TV shows. And we're like, oh, you got to watch it. You got to see it all. You know, if it's in the theater, oh, you come see it with me. I'll go see it again. We know how to invite people into that stuff. We even know how to talk to people we like about things that we know they're going to disagree with us on. How many UK fans I have in here? How many U of L fans I got in here? And some of you talk to each other knowing full well, oh, this is going to be a little fiery. But yet you still like each other, mostly. So... We can talk about sports and we know like we're going to disagree, but we're still going to talk about, we're still going to have those conversations. We know how to talk about things we're passionate about, even when we know the other person might not care or might disagree. So why don't we do that with church? Why don't we do that with Jesus? Because it's not like we're sharing something that we need to be all ho-hum about or like act like we're putting them out like, oh, I'm going to invite you to church, but let me give you all the reasons you shouldn't go. Like that's a, don't do that, right? Like you're inviting them to the best thing you've got going. Man, God is moving to my church. I just want you to come and see. Just share with them what God is doing in your life. Share with them about Jesus. This is how I've seen Jesus move in my life. And this is why my life looks different now. This is what I've seen him do in me. I never thought I would be generous. I never thought I would be patient. I never thought I would get over that addiction. I never thought my marriage could be thriving like this. But God has done this thing. You just share what God is up to. And you do it with passion. And listen, if they say no to the invitation, you're like, man, you got to come see Jesus. I want you to follow Jesus. Or you say, man, I'd love to have you join me at church. And if they're like, no, then you don't have to apologize. Like, all right, I get it. And then you just simply tell them this. Like, hey, here's the deal. I understand. But you got to know two things. I'm really passionate about this because God has gotten a hold of me. And I really care about you. So this is probably not the last time I'm going to invite you. But I promise I won't be oppressive. And I won't be obnoxious.
And then you got to make good on that, <laughs> that promise. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. You don't have to be overbearing about it. But just winsomely invite them to come alongside you. So let me say this. As we share with them, let, let's make sure we share the good news in a way that sounds good. That we share the good news in a way that makes it sound like good news. Earlier this week as I was wrestling through this, I, I got stuck on a totally different way of saying this. This is just this. Don't be a jerk. <laughs> and, and the reason is because I had this person come to mind that when I was in college, there was a guy named Preacher Dan. Preacher Dan would visit all the different universities and colleges and visit the campuses. And he would come to Illinois State University with his bullhorn and he would get on the quad in the middle of campus and he would just start talking to us all about fornication and all that stuff and how we're all going to burn in hell. And he was just yelling at us and all you college students are evil and blah, blah. And, and there was no conversation. There was really no invitation. It was just pure condemnation. And I was a really young believer at that time. I was still figuring things out in faith. I knew I was one to follow Jesus. I was following Jesus. I'd committed to it. But I was still pretty rough around the edges. But I knew this, that if possible, I wanted to be the exact opposite of that guy. That even if he spoke truth, the way he spoke it was in a way that nobody could receive it. And I wanted to be about as far from that as possible. Because yelling condemnation to people with a bullhorn, it's just not very effective. So we got to speak in ways that they can receive it. We got to offer it to them through invitation, through conversation, not condemnation. That doesn't mean we avoid truth or we avoid tough topics. It just means that we're cautious in how we approach those things and we care about the other person. That we're actually trying to rescue them from spiritual death. See, it's not up to you to change them. It's just up to you to share the good news in a way that makes the news sound good. So let me offer this advice as well. Let's avoid the arguments as much as we can. So often an argument pops up because somebody else is throwing up a smoke screen because they're resistant. Maybe they've had too many preacher dance in their life and they think we're like that. And they're trying to put some roadblocks in the way. Don't take the bait. Don't take the bait. Our mission is not to get someone to change their behavior or to change their language or to change their political ideology or affiliation. Not to get them to change their sexuality. Our mission is to help a spiritually dead person find brand new life in Jesus. Our mission is to help everyone we can, everywhere we go, every day that we live, find and follow Jesus. Now, it doesn't mean we avoid those topics, but it does mean that we got to be careful not to confuse salvation with sanctification. Again, a couple churchy words. Church salvation is being made alive in Jesus. That's the starting line. That's when we're rescued by Jesus. Sanctification is the process of growing up in our faith, of being made holy, of the Holy Spirit working on us and working in us to change us and transform us into the image of Jesus. It's looking more and more like Jesus as we go. But this is the starting line. But if we put this first, if we're trying to get people to grow up to look like Jesus before they've surrendered to Jesus, that's just behavior change. That's the wrong place to start. In fact, we're trying to do something that's really the Holy Spirit's job and we're getting things out of whack. And let me tell you, there's some really good people 
People who've done all the right things throughout their life, right? The people who've avoided all the bad things, people who never cuss and they never smoke and they never drank and they were good living people and they thought right and talked right and they even voted right and they're gonna go to the wrong place because they did not surrender to Jesus. See, we are saved not by what we do, but by who we follow. We're saved by what Jesus has done for us and our faith in him. So let's not confuse these two. And again, that doesn't mean that we avoid all the tough topics. It means we just don't start there. And we don't let the conversation get hung up on those things. It means that we don't grab a bullhorn and start yelling at people who are fish for looking and smelling fishy. Like expect some fishiness from the fish. And let's get them to new life in Jesus. And perhaps one of the one of the worst bullhorns of our day is social media. Let's forego the arguments. Let's forego the yelling and just the, the nasty statements. Instead, let's invite conversation and do it in a way people might be able to respond to. 30 years ago, I was a sophomore in high school. And out of all the classes in the day, I had all but one with a guy named Mark Zimmerman. Mark and I had been friends in grade school, but our friendship was kind of loose. But that year... We had all these classes together, and somehow Zimmerman and Fitzgibbon got set next to each other in all but one class. Not sure how that worked out on the alphabetical seating chart, but there we were. And so Mark and I had all these classes together, and our friendship kind of rekindled. And throughout that year, Mark began inviting me to hang out with he and his buddies. Mark went to a small church in our town, and Mark was part of a small group of guys. And those small group of guys began inviting me to hang out and go watch movies with them, to have dinner with them, just to hang out with them, to go do all sorts of things with them. And eventually they invited me to go to church with them. And eventually I said yes. And I began going to church once in a while. But as I continually watched this small group of dudes lean on each other and and do life together, I I was attracted to that kind of life. And I started going more and more. And I'll tell you, that's why I'm such a fan of small groups. This is why I'm telling you today, if you're not in a group, you need to be in a group. This is why we're doing group launch next Sunday night. If you don't have a group, come to group launch, get in a group. Stop by the group table in the lobby after church today because we all need people that we're doing life with. And I watched Mark and Brandon and Brian and the other guys lean on each other and challenge each other, encourage each other, celebrate the highest moments of life together, celebrate the mess of life together. And I saw as they invited me into that, to share in that, and they began doing that with me. And I began like becoming part of this new culture of life with them as I was going to church. But then there was a day when all the good things in life just kind of fell apart. It all bottomed out for me. I got into an accident and it took me out of sports for a season. And that was a big deal for me. It took me out of my music for a season. That was a big deal for me. And then my girlfriend dumped me. And then my dog died. And then I got into an accident and messed up my car. And then I was depressed and my grades started slipping. It was a, I mean, I was living like the bad country song, right? Like at that age of life, like everything was just falling apart for me. I was like, man, this is a song on the radio. It's terrible. And so I show up at Steve's house. Steve was the youth minister at the church, not student minister because it was a small church. He had all the students, right? All like from like birth to college, he had them all. And so I sat there in Steve's apartment and I'd gotten to know Steve through these other guys and through church and Steve still to this day is a good buddy of mine. And I sat there with Steve. I said, Steve, my life is just falling apart. Like all the things I thought, maybe somebody, all the stuff that I put stock into, it all just whoosh, it's gone in a moment. And there has to be more to life than this. 
And I'm forever eternally grateful that Mark introduced me to those guys and those guys invited me to church. And I'm forever grateful that that was an an introduction to Steve. And I'm grateful that Steve, and I don't know if I was his one, but I'm grateful that Steve was ready for anyone and everyone who would tee the conversation up for him like that to share the good news in a way that made it sound really good. And Steve reminded me of all the Jesus conversation we'd been having up to that point. So he pulled out a yellow legal pad of paper and he wrote what's known as Grace Road on it. This is the actual paper from 30 years ago, what Steve shared with me. And Steve just shared the good news. He said, you know, God desires that we would spend forever in paradise with him. But unfortunately, our spiritual parents, Adam and Eve, they rebelled against God and we inherited that rebellion. The Bible calls it sin. Call it what you will. We go our own way instead of God's way. And because of that, what we earn, what we deserve for that is hell. The story doesn't have to stop there, though. It's actually really good news that even while we were rebelling against God, Jesus died for us to become the sin sacrifice for us, to pay the penalty of our rebellion. And so God sent his son to save us, that if we would put our hope, our trust our belief, our faith in him, that, that we don't have to go to hell. We can regain paradise. So now we enter into that with prayer. And prayer acknowledges that God is God and we are not. We enter into that by confessing in front of other people that we're not ashamed to follow God. We enter into that by acknowledging that Jesus is leader and Jesus is rescuer. And we demonstrate that by putting our old rebellious way of life to death in the water of baptism and coming up into a brand new life with Jesus forever. It says, and that we prove our faith genuine by turning in faith to Jesus every day, by trusting him day by day. And those guys, Mark and Brian and Brandon and Steve, they're still on speed dial on my phone. They're in the favorite section. I'm eternally grateful that Steve shared that with me. Because of that conversation, I was immersed in a new life with Jesus. And I've never looked back. Now, I haven't lived perfectly. But I have lived knowing that I have a perfect Savior who loves me perfectly. So church, here's what I want you to know. There is someone in your life who is eager for you to extend the invitation for them to join you at church. There is someone in your life who is desperate for you to share the good news with them in a way that sounds good. All of us have at least one who's just waiting. And you may get a no, you may get a no for quite some time. I recently had somebody who for 30 years has been telling me no, start saying maybe but I do know this all of us wanted the invitation all of us wanted to hear the good news all of us were desperate to respond and so is your one so is your one they're waiting for you they're begging for you they they might not know it but they are desperate for you to cast the nets to cast the line, to push out from the shore, and to go fish. 
God, we are grateful that you came for us. Grateful that the good news is so good because it's, it just stands in the face of all the performance of this world. And it's not about how we perform. It's about what you have already done for us on the cross and from the grave. And so we put our hope in you. We put our trust in you. We put our faith in you. And we say, thank you, God. Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you came to rescue us. God, I pray that by the power of your spirit, this will become a church of fishermen. That we would go and not be afraid to share the good news, to share what you have done in our lives, what you continue to do in our lives. That we would share with those, go to those who are far from you in hopes that they would find brand new life in you. That we would go teaching and baptizing for your glory. So God, we pray for all of our ones. We pray right now that you would be working on their hearts, working in their lives, getting them ready for the invitation we extend. And God, we pray for all of those who are listening in today who have heard the invitation, who may not have ever heard before, who may not have ever responded before. God, we pray that today they would respond to that invitation, that if they are here in person, that they would meet us in the next step spot in the lobby, that they would join us down front at the end of this service. If they're online, that they would simply turn to the host and say, I'm I'm ready. I'm ready to go all in with Jesus. That there would be no more delay. And God, for those of us who have walked with you for so long, I pray that we flip the script on the stats. That those of us who have the longest relationship with you would be the most passionate, the most eager, the most zealous, the most dedicated to the task of fishing. That we would go out of here and do everything we can every day that we have everywhere that we go to help everyone we meet find you and follow you forever god we pray this for your glory and yours alone amen